Without the lamb to the slaughter, we would have no redemption. But I thank you, you're not coming back as the lamb to the slaughter. When you come back again, you're coming back as the reigning king, as the righteous judge, and as the bridegroom king coming for his bride. And we thank you, victorious king. And that's what we long for, and that's who we represent, and that's what we minister about. You, our great King, coming back. We're excited for that day, but we know there's much to do in this season. But let us not get so busy doing that we forget why we do what we do. We love you, Jesus. Bless this time. Bless these people. Thank you for being with us today. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it again. Hey, well done, musicians. Can I just get some water quick, please? Thank you, sir. Uh, well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> the rest of you, you just rude. I gave you three opportunities to say good morning back, but that's, that's okay. I'm just joking. Um, it has been such a delight, honestly, for me and my son just to be here this week. And I've really loved it. It's been such a joy. I mean, I, 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 I just want to say this. God might have taken me out of Africa, but he has not taken Africa out of me. And uh, I just, it's such a privilege to come here. I know you guys who live here, at times get over it. I get over every country I live in too. It happens, but you are privileged to live here. You're privileged to minister here. I hope you see that. And as you begin to travel again, you'll see how privileged you are. It's always interesting when you go to realize what you have when you're home. But uh, I do want to just say thank you. Thank you for coming out. I want to say thank you to Cornerstone Church for hosting us so wonderfully well. It's been incredible. It's been incredible. And we're super grateful to those who've served publicly, privately, behind the scenes, the leadership team here. The funding, the cost, the food hasn't been phenomenal. It's just you guys have really gone to another level, and we're super grateful for that. Thank you for coming out. All of you do. Everyone served however you did, and just for coming together. I realize it's a bit costly, but I hope you've enjoyed it, and I trust it's been significant for you. It certainly has for me. I'm leaving when I get to go, very, very encouraged by what God's doing. Privileged. I'm overwhelmed by the privilege of just being a part of it. Uh, I don't understand it. I don't know why, but I'm just grateful. And uh, <clears throat> I just want to keep doing what God's called me to do with the people God's called me to do it with. And hey, it's just a joy. So well done, guys. Thank you for the time together. And uh, we're gonna, I'm just going to share some things this morning, and then we're going to have a break. We're going to get back together, and I'm excited to bring on some new team members this morning, uh, the next session. Guys, we've trained. I think there's 24 couples that we'll be bringing on from... South Africa and from uh, as uh, where Lesotho and Zimbabwe and Swaziland, Mozambique. So it's cool, and we'll be back again, God willing. God willing, no doubt we have to say that nowadays. But uh, if your borders stay open and ours do too, we are having a global team meeting here in October or September, end of September. The majority of the team members from around the world, international team, will come together for five days. And it's going to be great. And then obviously South Africa will be hosting this South African Equip, but it's going to be done in different regions of that just because of COVID. You remember we were going to have a global equip in 2020, 
then we're going to have it in 2021, and then we're going to have it in 2022, and then we just realized we're going to have it in 2025. We'll go rather than five years, we'll go to 10 years, and hope by then either Jesus comes back or, or we'll try and plan it accordingly. Um, and so we do feel there is necessary to be together. How many of you know that? It's cool to do your regional stuff. We need that. But it's also great to be together. There's something about God's people celebrating different tribes and tongues and languages. And, and so we're going to aim for 2025, but we will be back. And international guys will be around, God willing, as I said, to do some of these uh, national, uh, uh, regional uh, equips around. Just for numbers sake, it's very hard to put 10,000 or 8,000 people in a room and number one, it's illegal right now. And number two, I think people are a bit fearful to come and hang out with that many people. So we're trying to read the, the times without letting the people determine. But it's one thing to say we're going to have something and then people are fearful to show up and it's illegal. We don't want to do that. So anyway, so does it make sense? So we'll be back, God willing. My family will be with me, my whole family I'm trusting. And a lot of other guys will be here. So we look forward to coming back here again. But just these times and our I really want to say this is essential when leaders and elders get together because, uh, I mean, God loves all people. I get that. But there's something significant that happens when we as leaders, elders get together and hear the voice of God together and adjust. Because in a sense, friends, I know God's got this and I know God's in, trouble, in control, but I also know God chooses people. And I keep saying, and people get offended when I say this, but the future of the church is not just in God's hands. It's in your hands too. And if it was just in God's hands, how many of you know it would have been done a long time ago? But the fact that we're still here, still trying to fulfill what God's called us to, means that it's also in our hands. And in a sense, God chooses. He makes no, uh, he does, makes no apologies for choosing men and women to lead and to be involved. And he chooses imperfect people, which is really awesome. So I get to stand here and preach because imperfection, here I am. But his plan is through people, through the church, through leaders. And, and so, so just, again, know this. This is not plan B. This is his only plan. Uh, and you're it. And the way you and I adjust to what he's doing and what he's saying actually can be so much more effective if we keep doing what it is he's called us to. Stick into his plan, as we've heard, and walking in his purposes. And so well done just coming this week. And I trust the adjustments that have needed to, make, to be made have been made and are being made, and not just today, continually. Because again, friends, it's handpicked by heaven for such a time as this, is what God says. Acts 17, 26. God's determined the places and times where we should live. God did this, that men would seek him and reach out and find him, though he not far from each one of us. In him, him we live, as the post said, in him we live and move and have our being. In other words, time and place, COVID-19 and the crisis and the nonsense we've walked through and God has chosen, handpicked from heaven, you, me, to be in this season for such a time as this. And so if he's chosen us, then he's equipped us and he will show us, he's given us grace in it and grace through it. And so I trust, again, we continue coming back to what matters and not listening to all the voices, silencing the voices and listening to the voice of the Father Listen to our true leader, King Jesus, who's leading his church. I think when we stay there, we're going to walk in the bigness of what God has continually, regardless of the seasons that come and go. I just want to highlight a couple of things that I wanted to say that I haven't got to, and then I want to just kind of change gear a quick, a little bit for the next little while and just talk about something different, 
But as I've prayed, I mean, obviously we've been gone for so long and trying to hear God and what, you know, it's the problem is when you have a lot of time with the Lord, you have a lot of things to say. You know that preachers, so don't go quiet, amen, and say, yeah, pre- keep saying. I've realized this thing needs to be like 10 days, not three, two and a half days. Okay, I'll be on my own, I guess. Yeah, all right. Well, you all want us, our worship to go forever, and you all have lining up with contributions, and we all, but hey, we need two days. Well, if we made it longer, we probably could have a whole lot. Anyway, let's just, I want to just say this. If we want to have New Testament fruit, we have to build with New Testament pattern. We want what's in Scripture, but we don't want to do what the Scripture says, do. We want the, what the early church is walking in, but we're not doing what the early church was doing. I believe the early church was more about reach than they were about size. There is a difference. Reach, size. No, you don't agree with that? Okay. There's a big difference. Can I just quickly throw this? Because I've got pastors in the room and you guys make major decisions that have ramifications for the people you're leading, but also the people you call to reach. There's some tensions that I want you to know you feel as elders in your local churches, but every church feels these tensions. Number one, the desire to keep the church one big family. Are you listening? The pressure to keep the church one big family. And the church is a family, clearly in Scripture. We are a family and we're many other things. But our desire or the pressure to keep the church one big family can, in a sense, stop us from the reach God's called us to. The goal is not to create a church where everyone knows everyone. We need to create a church where everyone is known by someone. Another tension every church feels, please hear this, the people who hold positions don't always hold the power. <laughs> Just because God gave elders position, and we talked about authority last yesterday, and just because you have a position doesn't mean no one else in the church carries influence. It's not only the elders who carry influence in the church. Many people who are not called to be elders also carry influence. And you need to be aware of that because they can influence people around you, sometimes more than the elders on your team. Don't be fearful. Just be aware. Just because you people carry a position doesn't mean they carry all the influence. Another reality that all churches face, and you ready, elders? You're going to like this one if you've liked nothing I've said. The elders carry expectations no humans can fulfill. There is an expectation of every person in this room who's an elder from your people that is not possible to be done. You carry, they they put on us, and I'm not blaming them, I'm just saying, if you don't know what you're called to, you're going to die and burn out. There's unreal expectations no human can fulfill. So I want to just say, set clear expectations of what you'll spend your time on. If the key to growing the church is to work more hours, you are sunk. 
Another tension that all churches face is the natural desire to do more, not less. As you grow, and we're all growing, you're always tempted to do more. I want to just say this, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Often the key to reaching more people is us doing less and letting God do more. By doing a few things really well, lead us. You'll help more people grow faster than almost any other way. And I love that statement, complexity is the enemy of progress. And it seems in growth, many people get so complicated that we become so driven by the wrong thing. And so I hope you can just live in the freedom of some of these things. Can I also just say tradition often has more pull than vision. We all face this. Tradition has more pull. There's a nostalgia about the past that is not embraced when it talks about the future. I love the 80s. I'm sorry, I'm still stuck there, but so are you because everyone's acting like the 80s again and all the songs of the 80s. I mean, how many of you were like 80s? I mean, not born in the 80s. Yeah, had fun in the 80s. Come on, confess your sins. I've seen some of you at some of these nightclubs when I lived here. and I, We've changed, but, uh, but I love the 80s. And I love the 80s music and my sons are all like, Dad, 80s is used to but 80s music's awesome. They're all listening to the 80s. They're dressing like we did in the 80s. They, and I'm back to the 80s. I wish I kept all my stuff from the 80s. But there's something, and the further the 80s go, the more nostalgic the 80s are. And I just, man, remember those days. They were awesome days. What brilliant. I was free. I mean, the only thing I had to do was show up at school and not even pass. Just show up and and all this stuff. I mean, seriously, that was the pressure on my life. No family, no ministry, just living the life. What a dream. There's a nostalgia of the past. I just, there's something about it. And until I remember those days, they were horrible days. And it seems the further they're away they are, the more nostalgic. There's an attraction to go there. Every church faces this with people. Vision for the future has to be stronger, has to be bigger. Not we come up with it. We are serving God's vision. If I can just say this again, friends, please let your people know they're not serving your vision. When elders come onto your team, they're not coming to serve your vision. When we bring translocal team members on, which we're going to do this after this next session, the next session we're going to do, and we're going to bring them on. And we're not asking them to lay down their vision for my vision. Who wants to lay down their thing for someone else's thing? Last time I looked, I've laid down my vision, and I'm asking you to lay down your vision to, as I lay down my vision, so we take up his vision, meaning this thing is his thing, not my thing. So don't come serve me, and I'm not going to serve you. We're going to serve him together, lay it down to keep. And it's easier for people to buy into that and lead us to buy of all capacity because we want to serve his vision, not a man's vision or a pastor's vision or an elder's vision or NCMI's vision, God's vision gives credibility, gives significance, and it pulls people from a nostalgia attitude of pull back there to the greatness of what God's called us to, to keep walking in. Challenge for leaders is to cast vision that is clear enough to compel people to pull them into, from their familiar past into this brighter, vision, uh, brighter future. I believe if we operate in kingdom vision, it comes from God first. God, created by Him. It's got to be biblical. It's cultivated by the leaders and it's carried by everyone. Vision comes from God, cultivated by leaders. 
but is carried by everyone. That's what we need to keep moving into what God has. And there's a big difference between vision and strategy. And I think when we present strategy as vision, we're in trouble because it seems we're always changing vision because we've presented vision as strategy. I just want to tell you that God hasn't changed no vision, the same vision from Genesis to Revelation. And our job, as I said yesterday, is to fit what we're doing into what He's doing and to keep that thing as vision, but then we have the freedom with strategy to change and adjust and shift and attempt some things. And we can tell, but if you've presented that as vision, it's wrong. It's strategy to fulfill vision, and strategy must change all the time in order for us to keep living in the vision God has. I'm convinced people lose their way when they lose their why. And that's why vision is so essential. We will lose our way when we lose our why. And I think vision keeps reminding us why we do what we do. Are you okay, friends? Just while I'm with you, some reasons why I think our churches will continue perhaps going forward to struggle or struggle to impact, just quickly. And I say this carefully, but we, the leaders, elders, have become the measure of our choices. When you and I or your leadership team or your eldership team sit together and dream the God dream God's given the church and walk in it, the biggest challenge from those people God's called you to lead, to lead in them into what God has for them, is you as elders become the measure of your choices. In other words, I'm tired. In other words, we can't do this. In other words, what we have will determine what we can do. And we all say we won't do that, but we make decisions based on what we have rather than based on what God has said. You know, I, I realize that perhaps some of you in this room feel like we must minister and release and, and plant churches from strength. And I think you're half right, but there's another half. And I don't believe you can ever be strong. We don't, we don't send people for strength, uh, from strength. We release people for strength. I'm telling you, friends, I never went sent out from strength. We went to nothing with nothing, and God brought us into something. Somehow we've got into this thing. We've got to have it all set up and have enough resources, people. And when we've got 10,000 people, then we might start planning church. I'm just telling you, you'll never be strong because you can't be sent from strength. You get sent for strength. Now that's just one of many, and I'm not telling you what those are, but I want to ask you honestly, friends, when you sit down as elders and dream, and I trust you dream, and I trust your eldership meetings are not dealing with the issues in the church, that can be sorted in a few minutes. They should be dreaming meetings of what God's called us to as a people now and into our future. And that will spill over and overflow into the region and into the people. You want people to catch it? You've got to have it. They catch what you are. So our eldership meetings should be dreaming meetings. And I trust as you sit down and dream, and not just outlay the next 12 months, as you dream about the future God's called this church to, and all these people that are in your church and yours are yet to be reached, that are going to come in with generations and so on that we're not allowing us seated in that room to decide and become the measure of the choices that we are making. And that's a challenge for all of us. Don't allow your capacity to determine your call. 
Don't allow what you have to determine what you can do. Partnering with God is knowing what we can do and then relying on everything He can do. Know your part, know His part. Someone said, if God is your partner, well then make your plans large. Let me ask you, are your plans still large? God is always about the more, the greater. Another reason I think that we can lose impact is we're just not willing to make tough calls, tough decisions. And no one likes to make them, but that's why you're governing. We talked yesterday, governing, leading, you're leading. How many of our leaders have to make some decisions? And to be honest, a lot of the decisions we make probably not going to be liked, going to be misunderstood. And you either got to choose, we're going to please them or we're going to hear God. And, and I'm not saying you control it, but we need some, some tough calls to be made. Maybe this morning in this room, if you're honest right now, you know there's some tough calls that need to be made. But it needs to be made in order for the church God's entrusted you with to walk into the future God has. Some things we can't pray away. Some things we need to go. I love that David in the tent to kill Goliath didn't sit in the tent and strategize, pray, and then go home. Someday he had to get out of that tent and go take out Goliath. You know why churches fail? I think because people become pragmatic. We lead pragmatically. Rather than we're hearing. We seek imitation. We, we look around and say, these guys are doing that. Let's do that. And so we begin to imitate others at the expense of revelation, hearing God for ourselves. Now, of course, we want to learn from each other. And of course, there's strength in our team. And there's, but don't become someone else because you're too not wanting to go to God for yourself and for the people he's called you to lead. It's pragmatic. I think also pleasing people. When we allow the vision to get hijacked, to keep everyone happy. Let me just tell you, you know this in leadership. No one's ever happy. No one. Somehow we forget that very quickly. And if you don't do this, I'm leaving. And if you do do this, we're staying. And if you don't, and you're just like, good luck. You'll burn out. Somewhere you just got to say, actually, I, I hear you. And I hear you. And even this week, with good intentions and good hearts, people are, we need to do this, we need more of that. And I, I hear you. Give me more days, give me more hours, give me more time. And we can, somewhere we just got to make the calls. We sometimes good calls, sometimes not so good. But at the end of the day, we're not trying to please people. We just want to please God. I've watched churches be derailed because leaders are looking for the approval and acceptance of the people they call to lead rather than living for the approval of God. If you live for, uh, for people's acceptance, you'll die for people's rejection. If I please Jesus, it doesn't matter whom I displease. But if I displease Jesus, it doesn't matter who I please. Another thing is, I, I think why churches struggle or, 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 or why they fail is because there's no price. We're not willing to call people to commit. I mean, somehow we have believed that, like, hey, we can't ask these people to commit to this. And we can't ask them. And then I can't see that in the Bible. Look, I'm not going to get to this. Let me, let me just say this. This season, no doubt, has been difficult for shepherds. And you've lost some people. The purging effect of this season. It has broken. If you're a true shepherd, which you should all be, regardless of your translocal call, if you're leading local church, you should have a heart for the sheep more than anything. You, can't, you know this. You can love the church without loving Jesus. 
But you can't love Jesus without loving the church. So we sit here and talk about Jesus. Or you will love him, you'll love his church. And I know there's been pain and people have left and, and I've sensed it, I know, and I've watched, literally. And I, I came and I said to our team guys yesterday, well, other day, God says this, stay on the wall. So, well, what do you mean? Does that mean? What does that mean? That means don't get off the wall to go gather some who then you bring them and try and get them on the wall. Because as long as you're off the wall, people are going to leave the wall that they're already waiting on the wall for you. Now, I'm not saying don't go gather those people. I'm asking you to get those people to come meet you on the wall. Because this season, there are buildings taking place. God's calling us to build the wall. He's shaken some things to get us back on the wall. And because of our lovely and genuine hearts to reach people who've gone, we step back from the wall. We get off the wall. We go and meet with people to try and gather them to come back to the wall. And at the expense of the great work God's called us to. And Nehemiah is the story of that. I know that... uh, our, our, our comedian spoke about we don't need to Jeshim and Geshem and all those. But that's a real thing. It is a thing. Some of us are under pressure today, going back to your region, to go find those people who have left. When I want to say maybe they need to come find you. You have not moved. You're still in the same place. Pressure's on all of us, including me. Churches that have walked away, Tyrant, go get them. No, they must come to us. They know where we are. Well, Tyrant, what about? No, it's not my work. It's his. But I tell you this, we need to stay on the wall because the revelation that Nehemiah had is I'm carrying out such a great work. Why must the work, the great work stop while I go and deal with what needs to be dealt there? This is what I'm called to. Get the revelation this morning, the great work you've been called to. It's great. Stay on the wall. And I think the great purge of the season of people leaving, maybe it's because we've all bought into this thing that if we can just get people to belong, then we can get them so belonging that one day they might actually believe. And then COVID hit. And because we couldn't do the belonging thing, all those who didn't believe have left. Because it's not who belongs, it's who believes. And I understand the notion of reaching sinners. I understand the notion of making it easy for them and comfortable. I get that. I get the seeker sensitive. But I also realize if you build seeker sensitive, they are very sensitive. And when things go wrong, they're not coming back until there's another show put on for them to come back and feel wanted again. And And I love the heart, but I don't see Jesus ever doing that. I don't see Paul saying, get them to get connected, and then one day they might actually get saved. Let me tell you, they cannot belong until they believe. Now, I'm not saying make it hard. I'm not one of those guys. But I am saying maybe the lesson we've learned is they never did belong because they can't belong until they believe. But people come in and they, you can't call them brothers and sisters and part of the church if they don't believe. That's the entrance point to the kingdom. And that's what gives them brotherhood and sisterhood with us. Until that, we can only be friends at best. But you can't be brothers and sisters if you don't have the same father.
Call people to commit, not to you, to the king and his kingdom. Commitment's essential. Can't get away from it and serve the purposes of God. If we lack courage, if we're passive, we will not. We, the churches will, yeah, we, we will lose churches. Churches will close down. The reason churches fail is because we lack courage. I'm just going to tell you this. The Bible doesn't talk about being safe. Safe. It talks about being courageous. We need courage, not just safety. And be safe. Be safe. I understand this season. I'm fearful too. I don't want to get any test of COVID. I need to get home. Do you understand? My wife said, don't get stuck in South Africa. You have to come home. And I have to test before I get on an airplane to go back to my country. And if I test positive, I can't go home. You say what you want. It's a big deal for me. I'm not in fear. I just need to get home. So if you've got COVID, stay away from me with all due respect. <laughs> but there is this thing of be safe, stay safe. Bible says be courageous. It's a big difference. Pressure. Trying to do it all by ourselves. Church will fail. We're not called to do it alone. Not called to do it alone. We have tried. Many have tried. Many have failed. Many have fallen away. I meet pastors and leaders, and when they hear about what we do in America, when I talk to them, they begin to weep. I was recently in a, in a region, and I began to talk about NCMI, just how we work, and they couldn't believe it, and they wept. And the one guy sitting in the room said to me, I'm a pastor, I've burnt out, I've burnt out twice, I'm out of ministry. But if I had what you're speaking of, I would still be serving God in the church today, weeping. I said, where have you been? I said, where have you been? But he just wept, him and his wife, burnt out, gone, said, if we had something like this, that actually we saw it in Scripture, but we've never experienced, if we had something like this, we could still be leading God's people today. It's not even a choice to do it alone. You can find yourself very isolated in seasons. And I'm just going to do it anyway. And you will find yourself, your church will fail. You're not called to do it alone. Another reason our church is what we lose, uh, we, as elders, we, yeah, anyway, we won't embrace change. Let me just give this to you. I'm taking away, this is not even, this was yesterday's preach. We won't embrace change. Constant conflict in our teams affects the impact of the church. I realize that we are made differently. We look different. We act different. I hope everyone on your team is different. That's strength. But it doesn't mean we fight each other all the way. Choose your battles. Remember that man that wrote that book, Choosing Your Battles? My dad wrote a book, Choose Your Right Battles. Choosing your battles. And let me tell you, your battles, they're not the people on your team. You're not called to fight each other. I think every, every team should fight for unity. Every team should fight for diversity. As much as we want unity, we need to fight for diversity. And not the, the uh, culture diversity we've, that's hijacked that word diversity. I'm saying to fight for the celebration of everyone being true to who God's called them to be. As much as you want unity, we must have diversity. Otherwise, your team will be weak if it's only strong in one area. Every team should fight for each other. Every team should fight for mission. Every team should fight for their shared future. Not a future, shared future. 
I want to say this. I believe a team is not just a group of people who work together. A team is a group of people who trust each other. No charisma. Why churches, I think, lose impact is there's no charisma. And I'm not saying charismatic gifts, which we talked about already. When leaders are fake, when leaders are judgmental, when leaders are hypocritical, when leaders are angry, when leaders are narrow, when they're unkind, that impacts who God can use you to impact. And I'm just going to say this. Most people say, well, I'm just a leader. That's how I am. No, no, friend. You need to be more like Jesus. My way or the highway. I'm not angry. I'm just busy. But you look very angry in your busyness. <laughs> I'm not narrow. I'm just focused. you narrow-minded. How about God doing some other stuff? Are you open to the other stuff? Or he says, my way or the highway. I'm a leader. Or you're not representing the one you claim to be following. You're a fake. No, no, you're not. They are. Judgmental. Leaders are so judgmental. It's in our DNA because we're leaders. Stop judging people. Hypocritical. Tell people to do something you'd never do yourself. Hypocritical. Leaders are really good at telling people what to do. but They hate being told what to do. And I know this because I lead a bunch of leaders. Anyway, let's move on. No consistency. Can I just say this, elders? Say what you mean and mean what you say. You get credibility lost every time you say something that you don't do. And I've watched it. And it might even be as simple as this. I'll call you this week and I don't. I'll set up time with you this week to have a coffee and I don't. You might say, well, it's purely an administrative thing. Maybe but it's been re- received as credibility. I can't trust this dude who stands in the pulpit and says, we're going to take the land for Jesus. We're going to walk through walls and cross Jordan rivers. And, and, but you can't even be true to seeing me. You, you, you're losing this credibility because of administration. Don't say what you're not going to do. If you take up an offering for a certain thing and decide to use it for something else, don't do that. And if you dare do that, you better get up and tell the church why you did that. And if they want their money back, you better give them their money back. God's money. No, no. Their money given to a particular thing you said and you never used it. You deceived them even if it was good deception. It's still deception. Do you know what I'm saying? You can, God can change his mind and we can. But we need to tell the people, not pretend. And if they challenge you, you tell them they're challenging your leadership. And then, no, no, they're asking something you said. If we could just be honest, people would follow us again, friends. Credibility. Anyway. Consistency. We need consistency. And I talked a little about David's story yesterday or the other day. Story of David, he was consistent in all contexts. Are we up and down like the weather, or are we consistent in and through it all? We need leaders like that. And also I think where we lose our way is when we lost our conviction. When we've lost our conviction. It's easy to do that. When you lose your conviction, I think you lose your effectiveness to what God has called you to. All right, so can you go quickly with me to the Bible? We're going to quickly look at this. And... Uh, I've like not even I've got like 35 minutes left and I want to preach. So <laughs> let's read. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
I really do believe this is what God, I mean, I wanted to speak on team and how to partner with NCMI and all that. That's what I came to do. And having these guys been brought on, I wanted to remind us, and that'll be another time. This, I felt God say, this is what I need to share. So I'm going to be true to it. And I hope you don't roll your eyes and go, I know this. I'm not asking, do you know this? We have to contend for this if we're going to be long-term. We talk about the mission and the mandate and this revelation of Jesus. But friends, I want to tell you this. Longevity is on the heart of God for every single one of us. Longevity. Ah, oh, Tyron. Yes, Tyron. And friends, I, I'm not even in in reaction, but you just have to turn on the news daily and see those who are falling. And you can sit here and go, never me, Lord. No, any one of us, any time. If we have not set to finish this thing well, it doesn't just happen. We've got to contend to finish well. And I know there's some of you. How many of you serve, how many have been in ministry over 50 years? Put your hands up, please. Anyone here? Wonderful. Praise God for you, sir. Thank you. And your man. Yeah, come on. 40 years. 40 years. Wonderful. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. 30 in the 30 years. Wonderful. Look at that. 20. 10. One year. Some of you are absolutely unsure if you are serving God. <laughs> and that's okay. But the point I want to make in all of that is well done to those who stayed the course because we don't celebrate longevity enough. But be aware of this. Those who have been in your ministry one year, you need to know as much as those need to know there's no guarantees in any of this. And this is as relevant for those who've just come into ministry and those who've been ministering forever. It's the same thing for all of us. We've got to keep coming back to this. And it does seem that God's showing through the shaking that many who have legacy. Let me just tell you, legacy has more to do with your past. How many of you? And I'm, I'm only 50, all right? I know you don't look it, but I am only 50. But I want to tell you, you begin to think a little more about legacy the older you get. I've never been a one for legacy because I don't even know what that means half the time. And I don't want a legacy. I just want to follow Christ and make him known to the world. I mean, seriously, that's probably the legacy. But I realize more and more that the older you get, you stop looking for success and you begin to look for significance. That's crazy. You know, 40 years, they call it. The first 40 years, all about success. And then you hit crisis called midlife crisis. Some of us hit it at three. Others hit it at... Everyone's saying, buying Harleys, and I need a Harley. Well, I had it at a young age anyway. So, but then you, you hit a crisis, and you suddenly begin to question all the success. What's the significance of what I'm giving myself to? And I think legacy has way more to do with our past, but know this, destiny has everything to do with the future. And if you want a legacy, my dear friend, a continued legacy till either you go to him or he comes to us, you better, I better let the next generation run with destiny if you're going to ever have a legacy. Legacy, history, destiny, future. Longevity, is essential 
for kingdom success and impact. God is a God of generations. We said that. He's not about weeks, months, and years. We prophetic people, we think in weeks, months, and years. God thinks in generations. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. The stuff you and I are walking in today is because of those who've gone before us, and we are living in what we are living in because of some of you in this room who paid some price in ultimately for us to get to walk in. But here's the deal. There are generations coming after us. May we pay our price. May we fight our battles. May we win our battles. May we stay true to the call in our season so another generation can walk in the better part of what we're walking in today. Always God's way. Longevity is essential. 2 Timothy chapter 3, quickly, verse 1. It says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Joel, (laughs) ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And you know what the response is? You know what Paul says to Timothy? Have nothing to do with that. Legacy, future, destiny. Longevity, get out of that stuff and stay away from it. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sin and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, also learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Yanis, oh, hello, Yanis and that dude opposed Moses, So also these men oppose the truth. Men of depraved minds, who as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, Patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord, the Lord, the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you, but you, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. What you have learned and become convinced of. The season we've gone through, the things we've learned, but we need to be more convinced. And the stuff we believe, we should believe like never before. Where it's moved from head knowledge, borrowed truth, to revelation, our truth. Tough times reveal what's inside. But as for you, continue what you learn and convinced of, because you know those from who you've learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures to able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. I just want to remind you, incredible text in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, about the Word of God. It says, for the Word of God is living and active 
sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. There's one verse. There's like a five important things we see about the Word of God. God's Word, number one, it is divine in its origin. Not some concepts, some thoughts, some ideas, some putting together of some stories. It's divine in its origin. That's why we keep preaching the Word of God. As I said yesterday, it's the only book whose author is always present when you read it. Divine in its origin. The second thing it tells us there in Hebrews 4 verse 12, it's living in its nature. Living or full of life. Third thing we see, it's powerful in its operation. It's effectual. It does things. The Word of God does things. When you speak and preach the Word, know this, I'm preaching to preachers here this morning, but preach the Word because the Word of God does things. Our messages don't. The Word of God does It's effective. It does things. It cuts like a double-edged sword. Not just a sword, a double-edged sword. It pierces the inward parts. Differentiates between soul and spirit. That's what the Bible says about the Bible. Thirdly, it's final in its judgment. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's very significant for it teaches that we don't challenge it, it, rather it challenges us. Thirdly, it's clear in its demand, believe and obey. Believe and obey, it demands. No suggestions in the Bible. It's our absolute authority. Friends, we go into regions and places and people say, what do you and Tim, I think about this? And I'm like, listen, I have some thoughts. You want to know what I think or can I tell you what the Bible says? Yeah, well, I know what the Bible says. I want to know what you think. No, no, you don't want to know what I think. We have a Bible. That's our mandate. That's our manual. That's our book. That's where your authority is. When you stand up and minister to whoever you're preaching to and to the people you call to lead, they best be hearing the Word of God because it's that, my dear friends, that causes people to have to decide what they're going to do. But if it's our thing, we shift it, we change it, we adjust it, we make it a little more palatable, Very quickly, they're running with ours rather than his. And that vision, that dream, that the word of God in the gutter, back to the word, only the word, declare the word, preach the word. Paul's challenge to Timothy, keep on knowing about the scriptures. That's what's kept you to where you are. All these other people are losing their way, but it's the word of God that's keeping you. Second Timothy, uh, verse 16, sorry, let's carry on. All scripture, all scripture, all scripture. I don't know, friends, all means all. Some of us that have felt like, well, not all, because like there's some things that maybe shouldn't have been in the Bible. I don't know. When you start playing that game, you're in trouble. People think, Tyrone, it's blind, blind faith. It's not blind faith. I believe all Scripture is all Scripture. If I get to pick and choose, well, then we're in trouble. Because we can all pick and choose what we want rather than what we need. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Chapter 4, verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. 
Are you listening again? Can't get away from it. It's just like, what are you saying, Paul? Preach the word. Know the word, live to the word, stick to the word, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Two words I don't like. I like great, but I don't like patience. And I like instruction, but I don't like careful. Are you listening, preachers, pastors, leaders? Careful instruction. Correctly handling the Word of God. So I I feel like those of us who are preachers, I think there's four reasons why people preach. Some preach to impress. When I preach, I want to, well, I hope it's not for me. When that person preaches, they want to impress people with their their skills and their gifts and their understanding. And and I mean, listen, I've been in meetings. I listen to God preach. I'm like, that was awesome. I honestly don't know what they said, but it was brilliant. (laughs) I'm wowed by their wordsmith. I really, I mean, you know those people. Don't be one of those people. Help people. Your job's not to impress. And listen, young guys, there's plenty of youngish people in the room who are called to preach. Settle this. You're not called to impress by anyone by how you preach. Don't go there. Just kill that today. Some preach to impress. Another reason I think some preach is to inform. How many of you know there's a lot of information being given from pulpits today? I'm not here to inform us of anything. God's not informing, and and I think we can begin to be informing. There's enough information on Google. Let's not go there. Don't preach to inform people. Don't discuss the subject and go home. We're not informing. Preaching the Word of God, there's a change. We read Hebrews 4.12. There's stuff that happens when the Word of God is spoken. Some preach to influence. This is a dangerous thing. We can all, as preachers, influence people into pretty much what we want them to do. And I understand that there's an influence that comes through Scripture and that, but don't just preach for influence, to influence, because you could find yourself influencing people into something you want, not something God says. And in that place, we begin to adjust Scripture, to back what we're saying. To find a Scripture to fit into my point is not a good way to preach the Word of God. How about finding points that highlight the point already made through the most important point being the Word of God? And lastly, I think some preach, and this to me should be why we preach. People, some preach to impart, for impartation. Some to impress, some to inform, some to influence. But we're called to preach to impart. Think about that. If you know what you're saying and preaching from God's Word is imparting something into someone, you're going to rethink a lot of what you're saying. Not just they're going to hear this. They're going to actually, this that I'm speaking is going to be imparted into them. And they're going to, fruit will grow out of this. I'm telling you, it changes the way I preach. I know some of you are not going to like what I'm saying, but we're not storytellers. I realize that this is, and I've been in churches, and again, don't fight me. If that's your thing, go back to his story, not your story. If you're going to tell stories, tell his story. And how about just doing it from his word? Then you can tell the story you want. But I've been in meetings, I'm just being honest, in our togetherness, where I've been invited to preach, and I'm telling you, the, 
the resistance to what I'm preaching. And I think people think, well, I used to think, oh, maybe it's just my gifting that I like it. That's cool. But, but I've realized more and more it's because the preachers and the leaders of their church are just telling stories. And I just dared open the Bible and read it and say, and people are like offended and can't eat. It's because we are filling them with candy and sugar coating and telling stories. And I've watched. The moment I start telling a story, they'll come alive. I understand Jesus tells stories. I know you're going to all come to me, you know, Jesus tells, yeah, I know he tells stories, but he also, he was the point of his story. Not us. I'm not mock. I'm not, you want to build a church, you want to have legacy and destiny, stick to the Word of God. It sounds so obvious, but it's become foreign. I'm just telling you, friends, if we've learned some things, stick to His Word. The moment you stop speaking His Word, you begin to get busy with the other stuff, and then you become detracted, and your legacy will be the thing you emphasize at your end day rather than the thing you stay true to in your all day. Well, can I just honor my dad for a moment? And by the way, he FaceTimed me this morning and said, please tell everyone I said my love. And when I told him some of you who were here, he just began to weep. So tears of fear for me, not tears of joy for you. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. But that man, let me tell you, my dad is word. I mean, it's word. It's word. word. I'm like, dad, I get it. So I remember we were having our world equipped. Remember that? And we were gonna, he couldn't get you. So I was like, Dad, can we record you to do a session with thousands of people in the Raymond building? And so, so just like, Dad, listen, just keep it a little shorter because like, it's hard through cameras. And, and so he says, no, 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 that's cool. So he's sitting there and he's recording and we're like recording him. And he's like reading scripture after scripture after scripture. And scripture and another scripture. And turn in your Bibles to the And I love it. I love it. So I said eventually, Dad, listen. <laughs> We will add the scriptures. Just give us the headlines of, he said, Tyron. I was like, give us the points and we will make sure the scriptures are there. And he said, Tyron, my points are the scripture. <laughs> Consistent. You get a hold of my dad today, same thing. Not he's stuck on a message, he's stuck on the word of God. Not going to come with the nonsense and the, give me the next thing. It's just going to, why is that? And friends, I know he's not well in his health, but he's still serving God and he has not lost his way. He's not been remembered for a legacy of vaccines or fallen by the grace of God morally or out of the race or all this stuff. It's just stay in and on the word of God. Repetition is a great teacher, preachers. Keep repeating. Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. Verse 3. Let's get on with this. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Hmm. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of disciples to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, but you, but you keep your head in all situations. Some versions tell us, I love the Amplified, it says, stay calm and cool and steady. Endure hardship without flinching. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. The time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Notice legacy here. 
Paul is contemplating his last days. He warns of some of the stuff that's happening. He tells him to stay away from that stuff. And then he reminds him to keep true to what he's learned and what he knows and where he's learned it from. And stick to the word of God and to keep your head in all situations. And stay true to what you've been called. That was his declaration to the next, the destiny of that man for his legacy. And then he looked and he said this, here's my race. You want to hear about it? Finish the race. Fought the fight. Kept the faith. Doesn't mention one region that he traveled to. Doesn't mention one letter that he wrote. Doesn't mention one church that he planted. Doesn't mention one salvation that he, one guy he baptized. One, he doesn't mention his revelation. Doesn't, well, simply finished the race. Kept the faith. Uh, what else? Fought the fight. Not a fight, the fight. I don't know, friends. When I read it, every time I read that, it challenges me because we're so wanting people to know the stuff we've done. This is what Paul said. There's my legacy right there. As he pondered the end of his life, he made three very simple statements he, he had for his legacy. Fought the good fight, finished the race, kept the faith. Acts chapter 20, when he calls for the elders, knowing he'll never see them again, Ephesus' elders come to him and he says to them, you know this, keep watch over yourselves and the flock to which the Holy Spirit has called you overseers. I think leaders are really good at watching over everyone else because that's our job. Selves first. Keep watch over yourself and the sheep. 1 Timothy 4.16, watch your life and doctrine closely because it, persevere in them because if you do, you'll save both yourselves and your hearers. None of these are new, friends, but we've got to contend for understanding longevity. There's no way you just end up finishing. So quickly, and this is like an hour preach, good luck in 10 minutes. Just some simple things, and I'm not asking you, can you think about this? Grab these things and get on our knees again and say, God, help me, not today, but every day to make sure. Because I think the moment we think we got this, then we haven't got it anymore. And I'm just saying, these men and women that we are, that have been, and I'm not, my heart is broken by those who have been publicly uh, uh, laughed at in the church and mocked because of their falling. How the mighty have fallen. Ha, ha, ha. I told you that was not this. I've watched people say, I told you that those guys weren't biblical. If you're singing their songs in your church, you, you see what you're releasing. I mean, all the stuff. we reveling in the falling of the mighty. I'm grieving in the falling of anyone. Christians, someone said when someone recently fell morally, they said a, 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 a atheist, oh, it's awesome, my son, he knows. An atheist wrote this about someone. He said the church is the only organization that bury their wounded. I'm going to stand up for this the pastor who's fallen morally. Because the church buries their wounded, but the world wouldn't do that. We are in a good way of just, you finished, you messed up, see you later, buried, life is over. Hopefully we'll see you in heaven. Let's move on. 
I do not see Jesus bearing the wounded. Some helps to stay the course. Number one, I don't know how, this sounds so silly, but be intentional. <laughs> you know, start how you want to finish. Remember how we always used to talk about that? Start how you want to finish. Start how you want to finish. Keep thinking of when you finish. Keep being intentional. Begin with that determination to finish well. Let that be what grips you. I'm going to finish well. Not in arrogance. I'm going to be intentional about not just having a good go. I want to finish well. I've not met a leader who led well over the course of time by accident. Instead, they decide up front and they continue to go. I'm going to run this race. I'm going to watch over myself and the people. I'm going to keep on doing what I need to do for me in order to stay effective till Jesus comes back or till I go to be with him. Every day, friends, there's a battle for focus. Stay focused on Jesus and his, the ministry he's called you to and the mission he's called us to. Don't focus on the critics. Keep your focus. Be intentional. I ask you today, are you being intentional about everything you're doing in order to make sure you finish the race? Secondly, we need integrity. Integrity. Never compromise your integrity, ever. We've got to keep establishing appropriate boundaries to maintain our integrity. We've got to keep pushing ourselves to improve on integrity. Now, this sounds legalistic. It's the protection for your ministry, for your life, for your marriage, and for the people God's called you to lead. And when we get loose with integrity and when we get loose with boundaries, and ah, you know, I trust myself. It doesn't matter who you trust. It's in the appearance. The appearance. Again, without naming names. A man has had to step aside from the ministry he birthed. And let me say, whether you like this man or not, or his ministry, many people are living in what they are because of this man's faith and ability to do what God called him to do. And by inappropriate appearance, who knows what else, but the appearance is as bad as the very deed itself. He's had to step aside and resign from the very thing he started. Why is that? Because boundaries were lowered. And appearance was unhelpful. I'm not pointing fingers. I want to learn. I don't want any of us to ever be questioned of integrity. And people say, Tyron, you legalist, because I will not get in a car with any woman, period. I don't care how, except my mother or my wife. I don't have a problem there. But anyone else, just me and another opposite sex, seriously, people say it's crazy. If, I, if it was me and there's another, I will phone an Uber, I'll wait for someone, I'll call. And people say, don't be stupid, it's just up the road. It doesn't matter. I don't not trust me. I don't trust that person. And I also know the appearance. Oh, Tyron, come on, Jesus with women. I'm, okay, that's cool. I'm just telling you, for me, and I want to suggest for you, integrity, boundaries. 
Because if nothing ever happened, people could say that happened. She could say something happened. And guess what? Even if it never happened, everyone thinks it happened. It's over. It's not fear. Wisdom. It's boundaries. It's not, I had a moment, I had a season. I want to be long-term. I want to serve the purpose of God. I'm not standing here saying this is going to happen guaranteed for me. I'm saying I'm contending for integrity at every level in a time and a season where everything that is shaken can be shaken. And when sin has been shown and it seems like no one cares, God cares. Make sure to hold to not standards, but high standards of integrity. The three phases of our lives, I believe in leadership and in ministry. Number one, the public world where everyone sees. Number two, the personal world, the, those close to us, our marriages, our family, our friends. And then there's this other third world, the private world that only you and God see. And if we're honest, we play to the public world. Social media and preachers, and now we're all, we all TV evangelists because we've had to be. And, and so we play to these wonderful crowds and people, and, and that's a public world. Can I say to you, that's not who you are. But because we so emphasize around the world the publicness of our ministry, we begin to put on a persona for that. And that's what matters most to us is what people think of us out there. But I want to tell you what matters most to God is our private, not even our personal with our family, our private, when it's me and when it's God, that's the reality of who I really am. And that's not to make you feel bad. That's to say, how's your integrity when no one is there except you and God? That, my dear friends, without making us feel bad, that's who you really are. I think we can break the major categories of sin that tempts us in leadership. Leaders, it's a separate, different thing. Four categories. Number one, power. If we crave power, then we'll crave positions of power. Number two, approval. If we crave approval, we'll take criticism really badly. I'm amazed how... Leaders cannot take criticism, but man, they like to criticize. But if you crave approval, you'll take criticism really badly. We'll be proud and envious. We'll live for the recognition of others. Let me say this, friends. If we're not seeking the glory of God, we're depending on the affirmation of men. And that's a dangerous place to be. I guarantee you will not finish your race if you're looking for affirmation from man at the expense of the glory of God. I know we know this and we counsel this. We're not asking you to counsel this to know this or we live in this. The next sin or category for leaders is comfort. If we crave comfort, here's what will happen. Ministry will seem like a burden to us. We'll complain and people will tire us out. Now we can have moments of that. But it can't be a lifestyle of that. You're in danger of not finishing the race. And the fourth one is security. If we crave security, we'll be overbearing. Have you ever met an overbearing leader? Are you an overbearing leader? If you want security, you become overbearing. We're inflexible, impatient, irresponsible, and we'll hide our weaknesses. 
That's the bottom line, friends. We need to know where we're vulnerable. We need to know our weak spots. We need to run away from those weak spots because they'll kill us. And our leadership will kill us if, it does, if those things don't kill us. Am I making sense? I'm sorry, it just suddenly got really quiet. Hey, we're trying to contend for our God-given future for generations. It's just how do you deal with sin in your life? Is it symptom level? Is it problem level? Or is it root level? Deal with the sin in your life from the root level. Get rid of it. Because one day it'll come to you and get you if you don't deal with it. All right, let me move. This is enough on that horrible point. Let's go to another one. Number three. Let me just say this about that. Build your character and leave your platform to him. The highest moments, that's when the devil comes for you. Know that. It's not in your lowest. I, 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 man, when I'm in the lowest point of my ministry, that's when I know I need God most. I'm just saying for me, and I think for the majority of guys who've fallen that I've spoken to, it's in the highest place of ministry. When you're flying, when things are good. It says that in the springtime, when kings go off to war, David, the king, decided to stay home because of all the victories he was having and the success. And it's in the, him staying home when the kings went to war. This king stayed home, and that's when he saw Bathsheba. And next minute, we know what happens there. It wasn't in his low life. It was in the highlights. Be careful, my dear friends. The promises of God for what we call to is going to be a lot of highlights as well. Low lights, I cling to Jesus. Low highlights, look at what I've done. Thirdly, believe for the impossible. Believe for the impossible. I believe this is one of the major things that helps us contend to stay and finish the race. Keep on believing for the impossible. Don't settle in what is. Don't settle in what was. Don't highlight where you've come from. Keep believing for the impossible. When you live for something bigger and greater than yourself, you will keep moving into what God has. doesn't matter what your position is, and your position will change. Those of you who lead churches right now, it's not forever. Your position will change, but you've got to keep believing for the impossible because that keeps us moving. When you settle, you're in trouble of not finishing the race. Regardless of age, leaders should not settle in maintenance mode. Keep going and risking with your life. Live in faith and risk. Privilege and price. Pioneers, not settlers. Abrahams, not lots. Keep on. Trusting for what God has for you. Number four, invest. Invest. Invest spiritually. We need to understand that we do, what we do behind the scenes matters most. Prayer is our ministry. Prayer is our ministry. Everything else, someone said, is window dressing. J. Oswald Sanders says the spiritual leader should outpace the rest of the church above all in prayer. Not a competition, but is there anyone in the church you're leading that prays more than you? We should, as elders, outpacing and not praying for us or for me and my ministry, praying for the people, praying for the regions, praying for the nations, praying for the prayers God's called us to pray. It's not a law, but outpace the people in your church with your prayer, praying together and being together. Does that describe you, friend? Someone said, to move people, leaders must be able to move God. For God has made it clear that He moves people in response to prayer. 
You want our people to move? Not on. <laughs> move away. Keep moving. It's not just going to be great vision and declaration. It's us praying to God. When God moves them, they keep moving. Read the scriptures, pray, study, worship, fellowship, lead out of the overflow of your walk with God. Number next point, number, okay, invest. Well, just let me say this, invest. Can I just say physically? I know we don't want to go there. We need to. Invest, not just spiritually, also invest physically. I mean, I've met so many people in the will of God who are not able to finish the race I believe God had for them or they believe because they haven't taken care of their health. I know God takes care of everything. Like I know we can pray and God will heal you. And all, but also we've got a role to play in taking care of our health. I'm not trying to get there. I'm not trying to say, but just, guys, the ministry we called to includes a lot of food and a lot of coffee and a lot of sitting. And I'm just telling you that outside of those moments, we need to take care of our bodies. Are you okay? You eat properly. Eat properly. I don't know what that means, but properly. Proper properly. Exercise regularly. Oh, you know, times all these people who go to the gym are obsessed with their body. Maybe. But some of them are serious about trying to finish the race. Okay. Can I also just say, eat properly, <laughs> exercise regularly, and sleep well. I don't know what that means. What's well? I don't know. How long's a piece of string? But better than you sleeping. Honestly, I, I, just, just give it to God and sleep, okay? God has got His church. He doesn't need you to be awake all night for His behalf. You need to sleep so you can be a more effective leader and stay the course. So learn to sleep. Go to bed. Get off social media. Get off the issues. Turn your phone off and go and have a great sleep and watch how much more effective you'll be. You know those people who need to see you today? They can see you tomorrow. I'm not trying to be weird. I'm just telling you, sleep well if you're going to finish this race. Effective long-term ministries are built upon habits. Get habits in your life. Look after your family. Invest in your family. Work hard in ministry, but not at the expense of your family. We're not into winning the world for Jesus and losing our families. I know we can use the scripture, well, what good is it those who could save your uh, you, uh, 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 but uh, lose your soul. What is it? You can gain the world and lose your soul. Well, that doesn't mean go and die. I mean, we already died to him. I, I get that. We died. We're now alive with him and for him. But I don't believe he wants us to burn out as a great testimony of what it means to serve Jesus. Somehow we think we've got to pay the price to prove it. Pay the price he's called you, but look after yourself. Invest in your family. Bring through your family, my dear friends. We've got to do this together. Generations working together. And let me tell you, it doesn't just happen. You've got to invest in your children, in your spouse. If you're married, it's the second greatest privilege of your life. Jesus first, and then your marriage. And I don't just say that because my wife's not here. I mean that when she's here. It's not something I have to endure. It's something we've got to work at. But God doesn't want us to endure our marriages and serve His bride. Work on your marriage. Enjoy your marriage. Your wife, just can I tell you this, your spouse is not your ministry, but they qualify you for your ministry. Still believe that in the Bible. 
Raise your kids, children, to hunger for God. Get your kids obsessed with Jesus. You want to know how? By you being obsessed with Jesus. And I don't know all of you have young kids here, but just those of you who do, do the prophetic things prophetically. In other words, don't let them miss meetings because they're young and tired or they want to play soccer or they want to play football or they want to play rugby. And, and you're going to say, yeah, yeah, one day when you grow up, we'll get you involved in local church stuff. But until then, you just go do that stuff. You are not doing prophetic things prophetically. Because one day when they grow up, you've told them that stuff's more important by letting them go do that stuff when this stuff was happening. People say legalistic, not. My sons played professional soccer. They were great at soccer. They played for clubs and schools. But their coaches told them, if you don't come to the practices, you can't play games on the weekend. And I had to say, sir, with all due respect, we moved here from Australia to plant a church. And the church and what God's called us to comes first. If you want my sons to play on your team, we're going to have to work around this. But we have prayer meetings on Wednesday nights, and I will bring my sons, even if they're 12-year-olds, and they will sit in our prayer meetings with us. Even our other parents will say, no, no, my kids go, no, no. My sons, I'm prophetically setting them up for the prophetic things of God. Not legalism. These things are non-negotiables. And by, listen, not look at us. By the grace of God, these guys are running further, all three of my sons, than I've ever run. And it's not just because God is good. It's because we put stuff in place and said, we're setting them up, even though they don't understand it, even though the coaches said it's not good enough. We know what God has called them to. Now, when I'm off and I stay home, my, my sons are like, aren't you going to the prayer meeting? I'm like, no. They're like, why not? I'm like, because I'm off. It's not arrogance. Friends, you just got to think. We're, we're listening to the world and we're listening to the church and it's okay and I'm not being legalistic. It's being prophetic. Do you believe what you're doing is from God? If it is, then bring your kids into what you're doing from God and watch them live it out longer and the destiny and the legacy when you're gone. All right, we have to go and eat. I know they've opened the curtain half and it's half open and the hint is there. I hear you. We're coming. We're coming. <laughs> anyway, you know what? <laughs> We're done. I don't know. Maybe in another time we can get together and do this again one time. But uh, friends, I really encourage you, please. I realize that it, the notes were not there, but I hope you're hearing the heart. And listen, I honestly believe God may ask me to speak this this morning. Because I wanted to talk on something very different. Big picture and new guys coming on team and how we partner. And I thought the Lord said, no, longevity first. I'm not asking, do you know this? Because I know you know this. I know you guys preaching this to everyone who's following you. But here's what I want to say. Don't preach it. Live it. It should not be any of us ever falling out of the race God's called us. If we stumble, come back to the race. If you fall out, come back in. We are, I want you to know as NCMI, we will never, at our best as I can say, we will never bury our wounded. I want to affirm those who bear fruit and bring through those who have fallen. There's room in this house, this inn, for anyone as long as they've repented 
and turned away from and are willing to walk into what God has. We'll walk with you. Might look different, but we're never going to bury you if you are wounded. We need leaders to find their place again in God, be restored to the things He's called them to. And let's finish this race. Let's contend for what we're called to. Let's, next time we sit here, 50, 60, 70, how many of you have been in 70 years ministry? Hands up. Not by, wow, look at you. Praise God, you stayed the course. Amen? Let's stand together quickly, and I'm going to hand over to David, the man, the food man. And uh, can I just pray for us? This is kind of my last contribution. Then we're going to, I'm going to bring on some team guys after this, and then we're going to do other stuff. So this will be, can I just, again, can you just, would you just settle your heart quickly? Just before the Lord this morning. Father, Father, we pray that, I pray for my friends in this room. Pray for those who've served you faithfully and by your grace have never fallen. I thank you for that and I say what a great testimony that is. For those perhaps in this room who have fallen but they are back and they're here, I praise you for those people too. For those who have been serving you for one year and those who have been serving you for 50 years, I praise you for that. But Lord, as we again pivot and just again look up and begin to look forward again to the next and what's opened up, and Lord, I pray that my friends in this room, we, your people, will be convicted by you because you care for us that we would not overlook our own lives while we're so busy taking care of everyone else. To give us true understanding of to have friends, people who can speak into our lives, who care for us, who realize there's a person behind perhaps the perceived personality. And freedom to speak into our lives and can call us and help us through these incredibly difficult days. But more than that, we have you, Holy Spirit, our greatest friend. Would you convict us, convince us, pause us, stop us, arrest our hearts. May we contend for the things you've called us to, knowing that this race has been marked out for us. And we want to run it and we want to finish it. And so I pray, Lord, that you stir us again this morning, all that's said and done, that we'll not undermine longevity, we'll not think of it less than it really is. Whatever needs to be done this morning, would you shift us to make those adjustments? And if there's stuff in our lives that if it was to made pub, be made public, it would disqualify us from what we're doing, would you help us to address that today and sort it out? to live in the sin and the shame, but to find freedom, come back to living in what you've called us to. So I pray your blessing over these wonderful men and women. Thank you for them that they're serving you and they've served faithfully. But Lord, may we have a testimony of longevity. Still serving God faithfully. 
still married to the same spouse, watching our children and our children's children serving you, not because of our goodness, but because of your incredible faithfulness and promise. And so if we've messed that up, may you help us fix that today. But Lord, may we contend for where we're headed, not where we've come from. Pray your blessing over these men and women, wisdom over them as they lead your people in and through this season into what's next. Unite us around you, Jesus, and your purpose. But keep us walking in your ways. With you, for your glory we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.